Well, I want to tell you about an individual named Jose, Jose Salvador Alvarenga. He was 35 years old at the time, and it was November 18. He and his friend, Cordoba, who had a nickname of Piñata, um, and you can guess they were from Mexico. They were out fishing off of uh, the coast of Mexico, and they'd been fishing for two days, and they caught a lot of fish. They caught shark, they caught uh, lots of different kinds of fish. They were using tuna to, to catch them, and they had uh, fishing lines and, and buoys that they would hook out, have out there that would help catch the fish, and they would go back and collect the fish off the buoys. But they'd been fishing for two days. They had 1,200 pounds of fish, and they were headed in. It was November 18. It was a significant day in Jose's life because things changed dramatically. A storm began to build. The waves began to get larger and larger. They were crashing over the boat, beginning to fill the boat. This was the first time for Pinata to be out, and he was very nervous. He started screaming and yelling, and he was uh, using buckets to throw the, you know, pitch the water back out of the boat. He was just very nervous and very upset. And this wasn't the first storm that Jose had been in. In fact, he had been in many other storms. But this storm, something was due to happen that changed his life dramatically. As he was going along, his motor quit absolutely quit. There was nothing he could do to get it started. And he fired up his radio and he began to call his boss. And he said, hey, boss, my, my motor has quit. And his boss said, no problem. We'll come get you. Just tell us where you are. And he said, the GPS is not working. He said, what do you mean the GPS is not working? The, I, the GPS is not working. I knew it wasn't working when I came out, but I didn't know I'd be running into problems. So his boss said, okay, well, we'll come looking for you. So they kept bailing and kept doing the best they could to keep the boat uprighted in the waves. The storm grew more and more fierce. And eventually they tried to get back on the radio, but the radio had died. They had no GPS, they had no radio, they had no motor. They were in the middle of this storm. This storm raged for five days. They didn't know where they were. It blew them who knows where. They were floating along helpless after five days, <clears throat> they threw the radio overboard. They threw the GPS in the water. Jose picked up a big um, club that they used to kill the fish, and he started beating the engine just to vent his frustration. The next few days turned to weeks and then months as they floated on the water. Jose learned how to uh, submerge the upper part of his body in the water and watch for fish to go by, and he would grab them with his bare hands and pull them in. They had a few knives, so they were able to cut the fish up in little strips and put them out in the sun to eat. They were eating raw fish, and they were starting to get thirsty. But one night, rain began to spatter. Now, Jose had figured out a little system, and it channeled all the water into some buckets, and they were just overjoyed as they were in, uh, drinking this water. As the two-month time turned around, 60 days floating on the water, wondering, is anyone going to see us? Is anyone going to help us? His friend, Benyata, said, I, I'm not going to make it. He had been getting weaker and weaker and weaker and feeling despair and hopelessness. He just could not overcome this isolation that they were in. And one morning, he died. Jose just couldn't imagine being alone now on this ocean. For six days, he kept Benyata in the boat until he decided it was time and he pushed him over into the water. He just wept. He was there all alone. 
finish my story at the end. Let's have prayer. Father in heaven, as we face life's challenges, sometimes we too feel like we are all alone. As we go through this study tonight, may our hearts be encouraged to know that there is a place that we can be safe. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Bible tells us about another storm on a much smaller sea, the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had been in doing ministry, and he told the disciples, let's go to the other side. And so they got into their boat, and other little boats came along with them, and they began going across. Now, Jesus was exhausted. He was tired from doing ministry. And he lay down in the bow of the boat with his head on a pillow, and he fell fast asleep. Now, he was with a group of fishermen who knew how to fish. They could handle things quite well. But that night, a storm brew up that was the worst they had ever seen. This storm was incredible. Waves were crashing over the boat. How Jesus was still sleeping, I have no idea. But the disciples began to fear for their life. And so we read, okay, let's see, we read here. Ah, sorry, there's a picture of Jose right there. I forgot I had a PowerPoint here for you. And that's the actual boat that Jose was in. So here we are in Mark chapter 4. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said unto him, Master, do you not care that we perish? Now, this is interesting. Jesus is asleep, and they're fearing for their life. You, couldn't, you can't imagine two more polar opposite scenarios. They, they, they are completely doing everything they can to save themselves. And Jesus is at peace. He's asleep, not worried in the slightest about what's going on around him. And the central part of what the disciples are fearing is that Jesus doesn't even care that they die. Don't you care that we perish? They think that he doesn't care. That's the heart of the issue. And he arose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? So their faith was, their lack of faith was revealed by their fear. This fear was a manifestation of the fact that they didn't believe, think that God really cared of them in this moment. They were terrified. How can we handle storms like this? And to be like Jesus, asleep through whatever life may throw at us, instead of like the disciples, fearful and afraid. John Wesley, that famous preacher, was traveling across the Atlantic on a ship, and he encountered a great storm, and many were afraid for their lives. They, they were terrified. People were screaming and crying out to God for mercy. And in his own heart, he was terrified. But there was a group of Moravians that were on the ship, and they were singing hymns. They were completely at peace. And he recognized they had something in their experience that he did not have. They had a peace regardless of the circumstances that they were in. Now, we're talking about lessons from the coronavirus, and tonight's topic is self-quarantine, stay at home. If you can stay at home, you'll be safe, and you'll help to save others' lives. What lesson does that have for us here? We're going to look at that tonight. Abide at home. We're told in Psalms 91, verse 1 and 2, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and in him will I trust. There's that key word, 
dwell. Dwell. If we dwell with God, in him we can have peace because he is our refuge. And we are not alone. We are never alone. So in fact, you can say at any time, I am not alone. If you're in the middle of the Pacific floating on a little white boat, you can say, I am not alone. If you're in your house, self-quarantine and isolating, you can say, I am not alone. Now, in Exodus 25 and verse 8, we're given a peek into how God is to remedy the problem of us being alone. We're told here, and let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. This is the remedy in this dark world why we don't have to be alone. We don't have to be alone because God has provided a plan that we might have his presence with us always. This sanctuary reveals to us what God is doing so that we might have him dwelling with us. Now, the disciples had Jesus in their boat, but they didn't really have Jesus in their heart. That's where they would have had peace. And we're told in Colossians 1.27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is God dwelling in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is how we can have his abiding presence in our lives. Now in Matthew 13, Jesus tells a story about a sower. Now in this story, we're going to learn that there are three things that Satan wants for you, and there are four things Satan doesn't want for you. So the first of the three things, thorns. Satan wants thorns for you in your life. The, the seed was scattered, and these thorns came up, and they choked out this precious um, new, new shoot that had come up. God wants you to, to trust in him. He wants you to abide in him. He wants you to have a wonderful life in him. And yet Satan has a plan. He has thorns that he wants to have come up in your life to prevent you from having an abiding relationship with Jesus. Now, in my life, there was three things that, that were like thorns that choked up my experience with him. One of them was my friends. The, the friends that I hung out with weren't interested in spiritual things. They didn't care about spiritual things. They didn't go to church. And so I spent time with them, so I didn't care about spiritual things. I didn't go to church, and I just hung out with them, and we did things together. I got involved in some other thorns. This was nothing wrong with these, these activities. I loved wilderness backpacking. I loved rock climbing. I loved rollerblading. I, this was back when rollerblades were fun. We would go downtown. I would rollerblade all over downtown at night. There was groups of us that would go. I remember going up in one parking garage, and we took the elevator up. And then we came down the parking garage and we took the elevator back up and we came down the parking garage and we took the elevator back up. And uh, then we heard over the loudspeaker, the policeman saying, you are not allowed to be on rollerblades in the parking garage, please exit. So we came down and went out the back door and uh, the back way and uh, we never went back to that parking garage. My life became full of other things that I was having fun with. And so this created maybe a distaste or a lack of interest in spiritual things. My life became full of thorns. There was another thorn that grew up in my life, and this was reading. I love to read. And in fact, I love stories. And, you know, reading is not bad and stories are not bad, but, but they can 
begin to, if we do too much of story reading and we don't study God's word, it, the, God, the Bible can become distasteful and not as interesting or appealing. Well, I got involved with reading some books. And uh, in fact, in, in the library at the school I was at, they had a book called The Hobbit. And it's a spiritualistic book. I don't know why it was there, but anyway, I read The Hobbit. I thought, oh, that was interesting. It was on my assigned reading list, one of the books I could choose. I read that and it got me interested in spiritualism. And then I started reading other books by the same author. I was, I was at the age of, I don't know, 12, and I was reading a thousand page books on these spiritualistic wizards and things like that. That did not help my walk with God. In fact, it derailed my experience that I had with him. I began to buy other books and I remember one time the Lord prompting my heart that these books were leading me away from him. And uh, I went out to my parent's barn and I made a little fire and I burned all the books that I had. <laughs> um, and about a year later, I, I had that same size stack of books again. I started buying them and they got back in my life. You know, when, when we start to allow these thorns to grow in our life, even if you pluck one out, another one comes up. We need to replace those things with God's word. The other, there was another significant thorn that came up in my life, and it's one that comes up in a lot of young people's lives, and this was music. Now, music is meant to be good for us as we sing praises to God. It uplifts our heart and life to him, but uh, there's some music that leads us directly away from him. I wasn't really interested in, in bad music really at all, but um, the people we hang out with end up shift, shaping our direction in life. And some of the friends I hung out with like to listen to rock, rock music. And this began to be something I started to listen to. And it, you don't start out listening to like heavy metal, you start out listening to the softer rock and then heavier and heavier. And eventually this became a dominant thing in my life. And when God eventually came into my heart, this was one of the biggest battles I had was giving up some of this satanic music, thorns. When Satan sees God doing a work in your life, Satan will have a thorn, especially prepared for you. It may not be rock climbing. Okay, I grant you that. It may not be backpacking. Okay, I get you there. Um, some of you may be tempted with rollerblading, but th there's gonna be some thorn in your life that Satan has prepared just for you. He wants this for you. The other thing that he has prepared for you is hard ground. Jesus told the parable how this seed was cast onto the ground and some of it landed on hard ground. So it wasn't able to take good root and it sprang up. And because there wasn't enough moisture there, that, 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 um, that grain died hard ground over a period of time with my life and these thorns in my life, my heart became hard. I wasn't interested in spiritual things. I never went to church with my wife. We had two children, Paige and Taylor. They were little at the time. And she was attending Standard for Gap Church. And she would take them to Sabbath school every week. She would pray for her, her, her wayward husband. And one week, a lady pulled her aside and said, oh, dear Faith, I am so sorry. It must be tough to be a single mom and raise two children in this world. She had no idea that my wife was even married. I was gone doing things every weekend. I was not interested in spiritual things. My, my mother's prayers, my wife's prayers were not breaking through. When a heart becomes hard, God is going to have to do something hard to reach that heart. And in my experience, I went through a terrible time. I was out on a, on a rock climbing ex, uh, experience and someone fell off the cliff and they died right there. And it, was, it broke me. It was a terrible experience. 
And this experience caused me to wonder, what is next? Why do bad things happen? If there's a God out there, why does he allow these things to happen? And my mind was just stirring about eternal thoughts and eternal questions. And so I picked up a book called Patriarchs and Prophets. And as I was reading this book, it talked about the battle in heaven between Satan and Christ. And this answer, the great controversy, answered the questions that I had in my heart. It took a hard experience, breaking my heart, to cause me to think about spiritual things. The third thing that Satan has that he wants for you is birds. He wants birds in your life. As the grain was scattered along, birds would swoop down and they would pick up the seed so it couldn't even have a chance to grow. And in my experience, I had some birds that happened in my life. One of the birds that happened in my life was after this experience where this, this young lady passed away. And I was wrestling to understand God and know him and to understand him. I was at work working with uh, some gentlemen that were, um, were Christian men. And one of them was, uh, it was doing construction work, was building houses. And, and one of them was a good man. I mean, I, in many ways, excellent carpenter. He loved people and loved others, but he was confused on spiritual topics. Uh, Wayne Lewis was his name. And uh, Wayne would uh, talk to me after work and he would talk to me about how bad the Adventist church is and how the leadership are making mistakes and you can't really trust them. And eventually through his, uh, his discussing with me day after day, because I wasn't grounded in biblical truth, I was deceived. And it wasn't long before I stopped going to church again. And I started, and I eventually took my name off the Adventist church. I said, you know what, this, is, this church is an apostasy. So I left the Adventist church for, for quite some time because I was deceived. But thankfully, even if we're deceived, God is still working on us, right? And he eventually leads us back to understand truth. The challenge is some of the birds that come into our life is taking our eyes off of Jesus. We start to look at others. We look at others and we do two things with that. One of the things that we do when we look at others is we make them the standard of what a Christian should be. Jesus is the only standard of what a Christian should be. But when we look to others and they fall short of Jesus and we think that's the standard, then we're not really experiencing the full life that God has for us. The other challenge when we look at others is, is when they are making mistakes or shortcomings in their life, we then begin to think that the Christian life is not true. It's not valid. It's not genuine. And so we give up everything. And so there's a danger in looking at others. We need look, to look to God's word and not look at others. In my case, uh, I had given up on the Adventist church. I had left. But the more I studied the Word of God, I began to see that the Adventist church had more truth than the people around me. The fact that there are, are wolves among the sheep doesn't mean that the sheep aren't God's sheep. Jesus warned us that there would be wolves. And just because there are wolves among God's church and there are people that aren't living up to the standard, it doesn't mean it's not God's church. And so I became convinced that the Adventist church is his church. In fact, there's only two things that convert the church to Babylon. We're told that uh, accepting Sunday sacredness and the belief in the non-immortality of the soul, these two heresies convert the church to Babylon. And so even in the time of Elijah, when only 7,000 weren't bowing the knee to Baal, uh, Israel was still God's people. God still has a people today. I'm convinced of it. And um, that was one of the birds that Satan had in my life. There's other birds as well. Um, 
as some have a new relationship with Jesus, there's, there's forms of worship that are very much similar to the world's form of worship, contemporary worship styles. And as individuals engage in these different worship styles, it leads them right back into the world from where they came. We need to be careful about these three things, thorns, hard ground, and birds. Now I wanna talk about four things that Satan does not want for you. These four things are gonna be found in, oh, there we are, there's the three things. These things are, gonna, uh, things are gonna be found in John 15. Jesus tells us about this analogy. He said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. So Jesus refers to himself as a grapevine coming out of the ground and his father's the one who planted this vine and he nurtured this vine and he helped it to grow. He is the vine. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So as we saw in the parable of the sower, God's word is able to make a profound difference in our life if we allow it to. If it isn't snatched away by birds, if it isn't on hard ground, and if it isn't growing up among thorns. Jesus continues, abide in me and I in you. Ah, here we come to our Psalms 91 text, dwelling in God. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So how do you abide in God? What does that mean? Uh, Jesus says we need to be connected to him like the branch is connected to the vine, where it gets nourishment and it gets its moisture and the ability to grow grapes and leaves and, and to stay living. But how do you actually abide? Well, there are four texts, four verses in John 15 that lay out the, the case for how we are to abide. So let's look at those. The first one, verse 7. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So the first thing that we see is his words abiding in us. This is the first way to abide in him. Now, you can read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation and not have God abiding in you. You have to hunger for God's word. You have to want his word to come into your life. You have to be willing to follow whatever the word teaches. If his word abides in you. Now, the, the Pharisees study the scriptures. Satan studies the scriptures, but they're not changed by the scriptures. Only those who love the truth will be changed by the scriptures. We have to study God's word every day. If we're busy, busy watching you know, YouTube and Netflix and, and we don't ever have time, because we're doing these other things, if we don't ever have time to study God's word, his word will not abide in you. Now, it is possible to study the word every day and not have a changed heart. <clears throat> but you cannot have a changed heart and not study his word every day. It's impossible. Now, the second thing we see in this verse, you will ask what you desire and it should be done for you. Ask. What is it when we ask God for things? We pray. We communicate with God. We talk to him. Now, the disciples found Jesus praying one day and they recognized that prayer had a powerful effect in Jesus' life. And they said, Master, teach us to pray. These two elements, prayer and studying God's word, are critical for you to abide in him. Now, it's possible to pray and study his word and not abide in him, but you cannot not pray and not study his word and abide in him. Those go hand in hand. Next verse, verse 10. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, it is impossible to keep God's commandments on our own. The only way we can experience God's righteousness in our life is by faith. This text right here is saying that the righteous will live by faith. That as we come to God's word and we see the standard of holiness, the standard of love, the standard of life, the, the, the way of life is his commandments, then by faith we allow him to live those out in our life. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Jesus did not do away with his law. In fact, Jesus lived out his law and he wants to live out his law within us as well. So we see three things, studying God's word daily, praying daily, seeking to experience the law of God, the righteousness of God in our life by faith. Verse 11, these things have I spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. As we have these things in our life, we'll experience joy. Now, I hope you're experiencing joy in your Christian life because the peace that God has for us is beyond anything this world has. As God abides in us, we can have complete joy. And verse 12, love one another as I have loved you. As God comes into our life, it's impossible for us to not love others. A love of others would mean that we would do for them as we would want them to do for us. If we were in fear and darkness and worry, wouldn't we want to know about the God of love that wants to abide in our life? If we were living in a world that was being destroyed by viruses and pandemics and war, wouldn't you want to know that there's a better place coming and a savior that's died for you? If you're gonna love others, you have to tell them about it. We can't have a Christian experience without telling others about the God that's changed our life. How do you abide in God? You study his word daily. You take time in prayer. You live out in your life the standard he has in his word, not in your own strength, but in Jesus living in you. You experience the joy that he has for you. You have a joyful life, and you share this with others in not only words, but in actions. Love one another as I have loved you. Here we go. Word of God, prayer, righteousness by faith. Experience joy and let God's love flow through you. Second Thessalonians 2 tells us those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. It's only if we love the truth that we can be changed by that truth. So this brings us back to Psalms 91. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress. My God and him will I trust. So you can say, I am not alone. I am not alone. I hope you can say that. I am not alone. God is with you continually. It's his desire to abide in your heart by faith. Now we're told about a man named Job. This man knew what it meant to abide in the presence of God. Job did not realize that there was a controversy swirling above his head, a controversy about God, a controversy about his allegiance to God. And in this, Satan was allowed and given boundaries in his life, but Satan was allowed to impact his life. His seven sons and his three daughters, his camels, his donkeys, his sheep, his belongings, they were all destroyed in one day. 
And then we're told this of Job. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshiped. In Job's distress, in Job's storm, in the affliction that Job was facing, he found comfort only in his God. And therefore he fell on his face and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The next verse says something significant. It shows that Job was abiding in God's presence. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Job was truly experiencing righteousness by faith. He was experiencing the peace that Jesus had in the boat, even though the storm was raging all around. Then his wife said to him, this was after Job was afflicted with boils, did you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, even those that are closest to us can sometimes bring tests to us that cause us to question God. And here Job held fast to God. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not also accept adversity? And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job knew what it meant to abide with God. Job's life was hid with Christ in God. Psalms 91 verse 1 and 2 was the experience of Job. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God and him will I trust. Even though his children were killed, even though he lost all his possessions, even though he was afflicted in his body, he still trusted in God for he was his refuge in time of trouble. Job said these words, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Jose Salvador Alvinja. Two months he'd been on the sea. He lost his only companion. This was him before this trip. Three months passed. Four months passed. Five months passed. 200 days passed, and he was still floating on the Pacific. 300 days passed, and he was still floating on the Pacific. 400 days, and he was still floating on the Pacific. 468 days floating alone on the Pacific. And he noticed a flock of birds fly over the top of his boat. And it caused him to sit up and look around. And he saw an island right in front of him. He couldn't believe it. He cut the buoys off that he'd had floating behind him to provide some sort of a, uh, a, a, a help give direction to his, his, uh, his boat. He cut them off so that his boat would pick up speed and get closer to the island, which it did. Once it reached the shore, he jumped out of his boat and swam and a big wave tossed him up on the shore. He climbed up and he started walking through the woods. And he came across two people. They saw this man. Well, let me go on a little bit further. They saw this man right there with a big beard and a matted hair. They were, they were a little nervous at first, and they realized he must be a lost sailor. And they took him in, and he was found on the Marshall Islands 468 days. He went from Mexico to Ibn Atoll on the, on the Marshall Islands. 
This is the very boat that he was in and the ice chest that had the fish that they turned over that he could hide from the sun. He was alone 468 days, but was he really alone? The Bible tells us that we aren't alone, that God is with us wherever we are. He longed to see his mother. He often thought about her on that trip. And eventually he was able to embrace her in his arms. The God that died for you, the God that gave his life for you, longs to embrace you in his arms not just when we reach the pearly gates, but he desires to abide in your heart now, regardless of the difficulties that you're facing, regardless of the financial challenges that you're facing, regardless of the trials that you're facing, regardless of the difficulties that you're facing in your home, financial difficulties. Through it all, we can have peace. We can even have joy because he wants to abide in your heart by faith. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we want to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We are humbled that you would dwell in our hearts. But Lord, we hunger for this. We long for this. We long to have your presence with us continually. It's not enough to know that you are God, but we want to know that you are our God and that you are dwelling and living in us and that you care about us, even in the storms of life. Lord, be with each one here this evening, as they are seeking in their life to prepare for the final crisis. May each of us find daily time to study your word, to bring those principles into our life, to love the truth, to take time to seek you in prayer, to take time to share your love with others. Lord, help us to deal honestly and truly with our life, that we might experience real righteousness by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.